It's great to have you with us from wherever you're tuning in from. For more information about Elevate Church or to contact us, head to our website elevatechurch.me and take us wherever you go by downloading our Elevate Church AU app. We hope this message inspires and helps you to take your next steps in your journey. Good morning. Good to see you this morning. It's the first Sunday of the month, beginning of each month. We like to celebrate uh, what God's doing beyond our four walls or some of what God's doing or using us, uh, especially in the digital realm. So when we gather here on a Sunday, all you see is not all there is. Uh, We have three uh, front-facing avenues for achieving our mission as a church, reach people and build people, our live experience, that's what we're doing now, our online experience, which we're also doing now on Facebook and YouTube, again at 5 p.m., reaching people there as well. And then our podcast, where uh, people from all over the world can access the teaching from here. Now, I've been vicariously living in Europe for the last couple of months, uh, following the Tour de France, uh, now I'm in Glasgow watching the Cycling World Championships. Uh, next week you'll find me in Spain following the Volta España cycling. And so I thought I'd give a shout out to some of the European countries who joined us via our podcast last week. They include Austria, Switzerland, Belgium, France, Germany. The UK, and by the way, I said last month we had people joining us from Georgia, and I forgot to qualify. That's the country, not the place Justin Bieber gets his peaches from. So anyway, now that we're all clear on that, some of you are like, what? Never mind. If you know, you know. Hey, how about we welcome everyone joining us via our podcast for what is the sixth week, hello, of a series we've called Keep the Faith. And what we've been doing each week over this uh, series is looking at some of the great men and women in history that God has used to do great things, that their faith was put into action. And uh, in fact, some of them are recorded in a letter uh, you find in the new part of the Bible. The letter's called Hebrews. That's who it was written to, Jewish Christians. And uh, the author of that letter, uh, in what we now call chapter 11, lists a whole bunch of these great heroes heroes of the faith from history. And in fact, that uh, chapter 11 is now affectionately be called the Hall of Faith. And what I'm aware of is our, the risk is when we read the Hall of Faith and we go back and we study the lives of these great men and women who have been used by God throughout history, one of the things that we can do is we can actually kind of, a mistake we can make is kind of assume that whatever they did is out of reach for us. You know, because they are them and you are you and I am me and we know who me is. And it's not always what we read about in these great Hall of Faith inductees. But I encourage you, if you've kind of been maybe just tempted to kind of think that, like, well, it's fine for them, but not for me. Go back and listen to week one where I just rattled off some of the incredible dysfunction that many of these very same people had in their lives and we discovered that that dysfunction didn't actually disqualify them from ultimately being redeemed and be used by God. If you don't believe me, today we're gonna be talking about Rahab. Full disclosure, when Rahab enters history, recorded history, she was working as a prostitute. Yes. And she made it 
into the hall of faith. A prostitute made it into the hall of faith. Now, I don't know if any of you are prostitutes, whether you are, whether you aren't. Maybe some of you will find it encouraging that God can actually save and redeem a prostitute and use them to ultimately do something great that was worthy of them being inducted into the hall of faith, okay? But here's the thing. Not everyone feels the same way as you if you're thinking that. Some people find the fact that a prostitute made it into the hall of faith highly problematic, right? To the extent that some writers throughout history have tried to sanitize Rahab's background and, and they call her an innkeeper, a place where people would go to sleep on a bed. If that's what you wanna do, this is all you need to do. Pop open your Bible app, use the control F function, type in prostitute, replace with innkeeper, hit replace all and all of your discomfort will be removed. You're welcome. Incidentally, Apple, because using Apple products, they seem to have a problem with uh, this as well because uh, during the week when I was preparing this message, every time I typed in Rahab, it auto-corrected her to rehab. And every time I typed in prostitute, it auto-corrected to prostate. So if I wasn't paying attention, this is a true story. If I wasn't paying attention, right now you'd be about to learn how to rehab your prostate, okay? (laughs) But I caught them and I'm like, that doesn't look right. I know, that, just, that joke just wrote itself. Thanks, Tim Cook. Uh, but here's the reason why some people might be tempted to do this kind of thing and sanitize things is that, like it or not, many people judge other people based on their worst days. And they kind of just snapshot their worst days and say that's now who that person is, right? And if it is the, the, the picture that we have of people, which could be true, true of their past, even true now, the risk is that we then conclude that God can't use them. And by the way, before you only third person this, this is actually how some people think of themselves, that too many people judge themselves based on their own worst days and conclude that God couldn't possibly use them because of those worst days. And the assumption that runs through that is that God only uses good people. And that is simply not true. Incidentally, not only did Rahab make it into the hall of faith, she actually ultimately received greater recognition. And I'm going to come back to that. So stay tuned. Don't fall asleep. So last week we talked about Moses. So we're kind of going through this hall of faith, a little bit of the timeline. We're not going to hit everybody, but we've got to be going through history. Last week we got to Moses and we discovered that Moses chose to put God's plans and purposes ahead of his own popularity and convenience. We learned that Moses lived to be 120 years old and that we can slice and dice his uh, life into three, 40 years, what Swifties call errors. Okay, thank you, Reese. appreciate it. Uh, by the way, last week, Louis and I were sitting at home and Louis just on the couch says this out loud. I don't understand what all the fuss is about Taylor Swift. Now, look, I'm not a Swifty. I, like, I don't know all of her cats' names. But the fact that I know she has a lot of cats suggests that I'm kind of in that direction. So I said to Louis, I can't believe you just said that about Tay-Tay. 
So right now, we've got bad blood. I was. I, I wished I thought about it last week. I didn't, but I thought, there's a way I could work that in. Anyway, again, if you know, you know. All right. So Moses' first 40 years, he was a prince in Egypt. Uh, he then discovered that he wasn't actually Egyptian, that he was born as an Israelite. And the Israelites were living in slavery under the Egyptians. And he chose to identify with their pain. And he actually left the palace. And the next 40 years, he spent out in the desert as living as a shepherd in very, very obscure and, and uncomfortable circumstances. And then he spent the third era leading the people of Israel towards the promised land. Now, he didn't actually get to lead them into the promised land. They kind of got busy doing laps rather than going forward. Um, so he died before they got to enter the promised land. And he had a successor. The successor was a guy named Joshua. Now, here's the thing. I just want to make sure we get this. Joshua's story is incredible. He's another unlikely candidate, not qualified, but he took over from Moses as the leader of Egypt. We taught a series beginning of last year uh, as it was on Joshua and his rise to leadership and his effectiveness. And ultimately, Joshua did get to lead the people into the promised land. That series is called Warrior. You can go back and listen to that. But as you read the Hall of Faith, Joshua doesn't technically get a mention, okay? However, he does get referenced, or at least what he was able to lead the people into got referenced. So the author of the Hall of Faith, Hebrews chapter 11, has just finished talking about Moses and then writes this, By faith, the Israelites marched around the walls of Jericho for seven days and the walls fell flat. So this happened under Joshua's leadership. So I wanna just back it up a little bit. If you've got your smartphone camera, you can scan this flow code. It's going to take us to Joshua chapter 2. So now we're going to get right into the early stages of Joshua leading God's people towards the land that God had promised. One that they'd been not exactly walking towards in a linear fashion for the last 40 years. And here's a little spoiler. They did eventually get there. That's what the writer of Hebrews just confirmed. So we know that. We know they got there. They know they, they went in. But here's what we need to understand. They didn't just simply stroll in. The, the city was heavily fortified, double wall fortified, occupied and guarded. And even just this very fact reminds us that just because God's promised it doesn't mean that you're just gonna automatically fall backwards into it that you're gonna just nicely ride in on your magic carpet, unopposed, no obstacles, no challenges, nothing you have to push through. In fact, quite the opposite, that, that there will be an enemy that will try to prevent you from taking a hold of God's promises. But just because there are obstacles, some people assume that must mean God is now saying no. Well, God doesn't change His mind, so let's just get that on the table, shall we? And it's not God's saying no, it's the devil's trying to convince you that God's saying no, because it's the enemy that's actually saying no. So to get to the yes isn't going to necessarily be easy or automatic. But here's Marco's pro tip. If God's promised it, then the next question isn't, can I? It's, how can I? That, that you're not having to question the promise, you're just having to search for the strategy. Yeah. 
What does God require of me? What next steps do I need to take? Now, in Joshua's case, it was on behalf of the nation of Israel. So he didn't spend time asking, can we? He started asking, how can we? And Joshua started to lead this, strat- this emerging strategy of how the people of Israel can take possession of the land that God had actually promised them. So his first genius thing was to appoint two spies and send them into check out Jericho, go and do some reconnaissance there. Problem is, as I mentioned, Jericho was fortified, double wall fortified. So they had the issue, these spies, of first of all, getting into the city. That was a challenge. And then if they were to make it into the city, how do they remain undetected as Israelites spying within Jericho. Well, they came across an inn that was built into the walls of Jericho that was run, and I'm calling it an inn. It was an inn, but it didn't just do sleepies, uh, run by a woman, a prostitute called Rahab. And it it would have looked as just a a, a rendering, you know, not unlike this, that there was an inn built into the wall. And the two spies actually entered the inn. They didn't ultimately get to go into the city. They entered the inn, and they spent some time there. Uh, The counterintelligence in Jericho got word that two spies from Israel had entered the city and were staying in this inn. So the king of Jericho sent his army or representative of his army to go and find these two spies and take them into custody. So those uh, Jericho uh, army representatives confronted Rahab she said, oh yeah, yeah actually, there, there was two men here. I don't know where they were from. I don't know what their nationality is. Uh, I, by the way, they've actually left. They heard you were coming, so they fled. They're, they're running away from Jericho as we speak. But if you're quick, you'll be able to catch them. So the army, they fell for it went off outside the walls of Jericho to try and hunt down these two spies. But actually what Rahab was doing was she was trying to throw them off the scent because she'd stashed the two spies up on her roof, hidden under some flax brushes. Think about this for a second. Rahab literally risked her life in that moment, for two men she'd never met before, so that's weird, and two Israelites. She was not only not an Israelite, she was actually a Canaanite who are enemies of the Israelites. So this Canaanite woman, prostitute, did I mention that earlier, uh, risked her life for two men she'd never met. Just like why in the world would she have done that. Well, here's the thing. It wasn't just the two spies that would come and go in and out of Rahab's inn. It was everybody. People would come and go all the time from all the the four corners of the known world then. And they would sit around and they would tell stories. And she would get to hear the stories. And some of those stories were stories about what the God of the Israelites had been doing the miracles 
that he'd been performing. She would have heard about God parting the Red Sea and allowing the nation of Israel to move through, but then flooding it back in so the Egyptians could. She would have heard that. She would have heard about them being supernaturally fed by God while they were walking around in the desert. These stories would have been coming through thick and fast. So it's no surprise to learn this. Before the spies were down for the night, the woman, Rahab, came up to them on the roof and said, <laughs> I know that God has given you the land. I've heard the promise. In fact, we've all heard it. And we're all afraid. Everyone in this country feels hopeless. And then she started, you read it for yourself, she started to rattle off to them about the miracles that their God has done for them. We all had the wind knocked out of us, she said, and all because of you, you and God, your God, God of the heavens above and of the earth below. Rahab, the Canaanite prostitute, in this moment, she was starting to reveal this faith journey that she'd been on the early stages of her faith journey, faith in the God of the Israelites. She started to reveal to these two spies about God's faithfulness and His power. I've heard about it. I've heard that your God's already won the battle. I've heard that it's only a matter of time before you take possession of this land, that God's already given it to you. So I'm gonna say something right now that some of you I'm going to guess, may never have expected to get through this lifetime hearing. Right now, there's a prostitute preaching to you. And no, it's not me. I'm not about to start breaking out just a gigolo. <laughs> or anything else for that matter. There's, there, is a, there is a prostitute reminding us of how big our God is, reminding us of the miracles He's performed. She didn't see them. Their, their grandparents would have seen them. She didn't see them, but she's heard about them and she's reminding them of the miracles. That's what faith does. I've heard about, I didn't see it myself, but I believe that they're true. Reminding them that God's already won the battle, reminding them that He's already given the land. So spies, stop asking the question, can you take the land? Ask the question, how can you take the land? It's already done in God's mind now. It's a matter of time of it working out in our reality. Step one of the faith journey, hearing about God's promises and power. Wouldn't you, sorry, that's a bit presumptuous. If you read your Bible consistently, you and I, we will get to actually read about some of the things that Rahab had been hearing about. Same God. Same God. And, and out of that, accounts of God's greatness, accounts of God's faithfulness, accounts of God's power. And we only do that by getting our Bible and reading it. And we, we bang on about this, read your Bible. Not because your grandparents told you, not because I'm gonna come knock on your door and check up on you. It's because in it 
are these accounts of God's promises and God's power. And that's the jump off point for starting to our journey of faith to grow. And here's the thing, and, I, and I've been saying this every week because this is so important to understand. You will have different areas of your life that are at different levels in your faith journey. Some of you will have no problem believing God for healing, physical healing, but you, you, you have yet to begin or very infancy of believing Him for financial provision. So, so here's the thing. <laughs> Chances are you got to the level up here in, in that area by hearing about God's doing that in other people's lives. So start exposing yourself to hearing about God doing it in this area as well and just kickstart that journey in that area, the journey of, of faith. So we talk about the Bible and every week, and, I'm, and I'll throw this up again, you can scan this QR code in the Bible app. We don't care if you use the paper Bible, the digital Bible, it doesn't matter. It's the words that matter, the promises that matter, not the form. But in the Bible app, which you can take with you 24 seven, uh, there's a section called My Church. And every Monday we publish a featured plan. So tomorrow there'll be a featured plan about Rahab the prostitute, not rehab the prostate. You can get into that. I'll be getting into that. Go on to that. We talk about our podcast regularly because if for some silly reason you're not here on a Sunday, you can still listen to great teaching and keep up. So our podcast, Elevate Church, on any of your favourite podcast platforms will be there. And then gathering together with God's people, sharing stories of God's promises, God's power, God's faithfulness, how He's working in each other's lives. Be generous sharing with other people about what God's doing in your life. This is the beginning. Step one, hearing God's promises and power. And then we have to actually choose to believe them. Rahab gives this away. She heard these stories, didn't see them for herself, but she believed them. She said to these two spies, I know God's given you the land. What an incredibly aspirational goal. When you've heard something about God and now you move into the, I know it's true. I'm not questioning it. I'm not doubting it. I'm not umming and ahhing about it. I know you are who you say you are. I know you're with me and you're for me. I know you'll do what you said you'll do. I know you have good plans for me. I know my God is greater than any obstacles in front of me. I know. I've heard it. I believed it. And here's step three. Now I'm going to act on it. Now I'm actually going to do something. And by the way, this is not a recipe book. <laughs> step one, step two, add water, stir and voila. It, it, it's reflective of, of a journey. And this is going to look a bit different for each person and it's going to apply to different areas of your life. But this is, we get to where we ultimately have to act on our faith. Rahab firstly acted on her faith by hiding the spies, but actually her journey of acting on faith didn't end there. In fact, after the sort of the commotion had finished and the, the army had kind of taken her uh, little white lie and chased these spies away, um, she knew that they were gonna go leave and go to report back to Joshua and ultimately the Israelites were gonna come back and take over the city. So she said to them, now promise me by God, 
I showed you, this is her praying a prayer, by the way, in case you missed it. I showed you mercy. Now show my family mercy and give me some tangible proof, a guarantee of life for my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, everyone connected with my family, save our souls from death. So they came up with this plan that she was gonna lower the two spies out of the window of her inn back to the outside world via a red rope, just a scarlet rope. And so that's exactly what happened. But what they said to her though, is that after we've gone down on the rope, leave the rope hanging out the window. And then they said, and make sure your family stays inside the inn. And if you do these two things, your family, we can promise you God's word, your family will be protected. (laughs) and then she said this incredibly aspirational thing. When God has spoken to you, what about this as an aspirational goal? She said, if that's what you say, that's the way it is. (laughs) I'm not sitting at the negotiating table, God. I'm saying, yep, if that's what you say, that's the way it is. It was an outward action that demonstrated her growing faith. So here's a question this morning. Is there an outward action that God has been asking you to take specifically? By the way, just, I mean, sorry, Captain Obvious hat on for a second. You have to take the action before you see the result. That's why it's called an act of faith. (laughs) Says to her family, don't worry, God's got it sorted. I'm just gonna hang out a rope outside and then we just stay inside and we're all safe. And they'd be like, what? But she did it anyway and that's exactly what happened. She and her family were saved. So is there an outward action that God's calling you to take? Get baptized, there you go. Maybe give financially, maybe invite somebody to a live experience, maybe, or anything you, you have to come up with. But I, I can't tell you what it is. It's about what's, what is God saying? Is there another outward action that you need to take that demonstrates in advance your growing faith? Now, this whole idea of faith being uh, put into action Probably the, the, the writer who spent the most time on this and is kind of known as being kind of like the, the leading authority on this was actually Jesus' half-brother, James. Same mom, different dad. Okay, anyway, he wrote a letter also to Jewish Christians at the time and he really focused on this area of putting your faith into action. In fact, he, he, he makes the point that it, without action, do you really even have faith? Who knows? This is what he wrote to them. Dear friends, do you think you get anywhere in this if you learn all the right words but never do anything? Does merely talking about faith indicate a person really has it? And so he's just setting the scene here. And then he goes on to give two examples in history of people who actually put their faith into action. The first one he talks about, consider Abraham. He starts bragging on Abraham, who was willing to to risk his son Isaac. Uh, That was an act of faith. 
and, and then he picked a second person from the hall of faith, which by the way, there's a pretty decent list there. You think Noah? Is he gonna pick Noah? Didn't pick Noah. Uh, Moses? Didn't pick Moses. Josh? The same with Rahab, the Jericho harlot. Wasn't her action in hiding God's spies and helping them escape that seamless unity of believing and doing? Wasn't that what counted with God? You would think that Rahab in her wildest dreams would have ever thought she would ever one day make it into the hall of faith? <laughs> So Rahab, what do you do for a living? Ugh, it's complicated. Makes it into the hall of faith. Now she makes it into one of two hand-picked examples from Jesus' half-brother James as here's what somebody who did this, here's what they look like. Here's, here's an example. Here's an actual, like a hero in this. I gotta, wait. I gotta, I gotta, I got a special mention from James as an example of someone whose life and faith was put into action. And yeah, mine's bonkers. I did mention at the beginning though, that Rahab ultimately received an even higher accolade, higher than being inducted into the hall of faith, higher than being given a shout out as a working example by James. Although, I mean, let's just face it, if that was you and that's me, I'd be happy with that. She's actually mentioned three times by the writers in the New Testament. The third one is Matthew, one of Jesus' four biographers. And she gets a mention in Matthew chapter one. Now it's only the insane among you that have ever spent time reading Matthew chapter one. Because Matthew chapter one is dry as chips. Matthew chapter one is the genealogy of Jesus. Jesus' lineage, Jesus' family tree. Such and such gave birth to such and such. Then they gave birth to such and such. And then they gave birth to such and such. I'm like, all right, I get it. It ends with Jesus. I'll just go straight to chapter two. But if you do that, what you miss is the fact that Rahab gets written about in the lineage of Jesus. She makes it into the royal lineage of the King of Kings. Hello. So here's my final word on that. If you've ever thought that God can't use you because you're judging yourself maybe on your worst days in your past, Rahab, the prostitute, made it into the lineage of the King of Kings. This is the final word. This is a mic drop. Are you ready? God no longer saw her as a prostitute. She made it into Jesus' lineage because God now saw her as a princess. We really hope you've got a lot out of this message. If you live in the Perth area, we'd love for you to join one of our live experiences. For times and directions, as well as information, head to our website, elevatechurch.me. 
For those of you beyond the Perth area, we'd love for you to connect with our online experience, which premieres every Sunday via YouTube and Facebook Live and on demand immediately after. And to partner with us to reach more people by giving financially, head to our website, elevatechurch.me and also download our Elevate Church AU app.